Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio Show number 319, Gender Inclusion and Corporate Policy. I'm sorry, we had some issues with the um, audio and I ended up um, having to redial in after the show had started and of course <laughs> Sasha then didn't know what I was doing but she's obviously just come back here so we're yes. just going to carry on. <laughs> yes, thank so, you. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about diversity and inclusion challenges and opportunities in the workplace. I'm Jo Doss, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is Sasha Korobov, who's internal communications expert and certified coach. So welcome again, Sasha. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And apologies that we had an issue before, but hopefully you can hear me <laughs> fine now. <laughs> loud and clear. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background, and then we can get going on the topics today. Yes, sure. So I have been in internal communications probably for about 10 years now. It's always had a couple of few iterations, but most of my experience thus far has been actually I was a director at NASA for a good long time. And then I moved to the UK to pursue graduate work in corporate communications. And here I am today. I have stayed in England and I still love talking about internal communications. Lovely. And I can't let the, the, the word NASA go by without just sort of going back and saying, <laughs> just give us a little pen picture of what it was like there. I mean, uh, you know, normally we go, it's not, it's not rocket science. And then in this occasion, you know, we're not talking about. Yeah. The As a matter of fact. <laughs> Well, you know, internal comms can feel like rocket science sometimes. It's very nuanced. Um, no, it was obviously loads of fun with some great opportunities, and uh, I'm grateful for the experience. But sometimes um, you've got to find experiences anew. So that's what brings me here. Yeah, and without one, wearing one of those big white suits with a big helmet on. Oh, no, you didn't have to do that, did you? <laughs> someday, someday, yes. <Yeah. laughs> so... Today we're talking gender inclusion and corporate policy and it's interesting so I was listening to a podcast myself the other day and it was actually nothing to do with leadership or engagement. It was somebody talking about sort of health and fitness but somewhere along the line the, the lady was talking about, um, I can't even remember if she was talking about hormones or something and she said something like, oh I don't want to talk about this because you know I worry about offending people and, and what she was trying to say is men and women are different from a sort of biological point of view and she was really mm. worried about saying that. And I think when we have these discussions in, you know, whatever sphere we're talking about, when we start talking about diversity and inclusion and men and women and everything else, it can be quite a difficult conversation sometimes, you know, without worrying or worrying about, um, you know, offending people or whatever. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be. It, it absolutely doesn't mm -hmm. have to be. I, I think that there really nowadays is... Um, 
almost say industries are just begging for this sort of conversation to be normalized. And Mm -hmm. I think that the more we're actually talking about these things and have visibility around these issues, the easier it's going to be. And, you know, you're seeing initiatives across so many um, organizations in the UK around men feeling more comfortable to speak about their mental health and women being more upfront and open about the very real things that come with menopause, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we are starting to turn a corner, but I understand that sometimes it still makes um, people feel a little apprehensive to talk about these things because we've been conditioned Mm -hmm. for so long that um, because we are different, we are limited. And I'm grateful to see that that's sort of turning a little bit more and more. Mm. And as you say, it's sort of the talking about it, the, the sort of raising the issues and and sort of sharing that that's helped. Like again, you mentioned menopause, and CITD has, has had a menopause month, I think, a couple of months ago. So you know, we've heard quite a lot in the sort of HR space about it. And I, I saw a, a male friend on on Facebook a few weeks ago making some comments about, oh, you know menopause you know there's all this stuff about work and everything and menopause and oh really and he was being really dismissive and and mm. I, I was sort of wanted to reply and go we clearly don't know anybody who's been in that situation or worked with anyone who has because if you had you'd have a different view or maybe if you'd had a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. who'd had that experience you'd have a di- had a different view yes Yes, absolutely. If we have exposure to these conversations, then, you know, we might have a different view. But, of course, me, I would want to scratch at the surface of wondering why this person was so bothered by that. (laughs) If it it doesn't have anything to do with your immediate, you know, work sphere and it's not something you'll go through, I'm wondering why that person is putting active energy into being that frustrated. But it happens and it happens more frequently than it doesn't, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. So what can companies be doing for um, gender inclusion and making improvements in that area? Well, I think companies have been, especially across the UK, have been fantastic about putting policies into place and guidelines. But a lot of times companies are really reluctant to reflect and reflect on how the implementation of those policies are going. Are they having continuing education and continuing discussions around these? Do they have, you know, employee-led networks that speak to some of these issues? So um, I think that in terms of what can be done more around the issue of gender inclusion, I think we just really have to step back um, as leaders and as employees and talk about how these things are really actually hitting the ground besides just being written in stone. Mm. And, you know, we talked about sort of raising issues, having more discussion. And one of the things that you uh, said when we were preparing for this show was about how men actually suffer with gender stereotyping in corporate as well as women. And I, I think sometimes the emphasis seems to be all about women and then the men yeah. are just sort of going, well, what about us? But as as you've said, there are, there are issues the other way as well. So let's talk a bit more about that sort of stereotyping and how that you know, doesn't help within organizations? Well, if you look at paternity leave, maternity leave, and, you know, these sort of care leave options in place, they are based on the working assumption that, you know, men 
don't want to take longer periods of time away. We are luckily having some shared maternity and paternity leave, um, you know, increasing, but not all men want to be this cutthroat, you know, aggressive person that spends their whole life climbing a ladder. You know, there are men who shockingly enough would like a life outside (laughs) of their jobs and want to spend time with family and are, you know, pleased and proud to bring home a paycheck, but don't feel the need to be the CEO. And we have a lot of policies in place that don't reflect that. And part of that is because employees may not ask, right? I mean, employees also need to be doing more about advocating for these policies. But um, the the adverse effect on men is very real. And there are... Mm you know, solid statistics backing up that this is becoming more and more of a problem as, you know, the all-elusive work-life balance conversation is happening more and more and is normalized more in the corporate space. Mm. And it's not always about policies, is it? I just think about my own example with my husband and and having had a a daughter, um, you know, when she was a bit younger and being off sick and all that sort of stuff. I sort of force the issue quite often because I work for myself. I have to, um, you know, work with a client on that day and that's it sort of thing. It's not quite the same. And so we've had situations where he's gone into work and said, or phoned up work and said, you know, I need to stay at home because my wife's away and, you know, my daughter needs looking after and all that sort of thing. And I know at the beginning he was quite reluctant to do that because he felt it either wasn't appropriate or whatever. And I'm not sure that the company policy was that it was a problem. It was just a feeling that it was inappropriate or that other people didn't do it or, you know, whatever. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes. No, it, it sounds like he had been conditioned to believe that he shouldn't be asking for these things and that maybe his company might have looked negatively had he decided to mm. ask for a little more flexibility or opportunity mm. to spend more time at home caring for your daughter. Yeah, and in reality, there was never an issue, but I think mm. he felt that there was going to be. And as you say, that's the, the stereotype and not even sometimes about policy. It's just either preconceived ideas or sometimes it's the way people have responded or what they've seen in the workplace, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because people aren't asking, they assume that they will be the sore thumb sticking out if they do ask. And really, mm-hmm. there many of our peers, many of our colleagues and the people we sit next to might be just begging for that door to be open, but they're too scared to, you know, crack the door open themselves. It's an interesting mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, and, and also that thing that the sort of policies, as you mentioned, flexible working or um, maternity potential, whatever, is quite often seen as being the sort of female thing, um, when yep. actually it's about businesses as a whole and also can make businesses much more attractive places when they're trying to recruit and attract talent if those policies exist and that's not necessarily about bringing more women in it's just about being seen as an organization that is supportive of everyone isn't it yes and also catching up with the reality of how we operate today i was at a panel couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that came up around the issue of maternity and paternity leave, someone raised their hand and said, you know, I do not want children and neither does my husband, but we will encounter a time when our parents will be older and they may need care. Why can't we have a kind of gender neutral care leave 
that will incorporate some of these nuances, regardless of whether or not the issue is children coming into the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we have parents who are living longer, working longer, but still needing that support from their own children. So that is, you know, another thing to consider here as we talk about the issue of care leave. Maybe gender is the wrong platform to be basing some of these policies. Mm-hmm. Although, again, I guess that, that that has the danger of the stereotypical that it's the woman that looks after the parents, um, mm-hmm. historically type sort of issue as well. So, yep. it, it, you know, a lot of these things start, don't they, with that being the stereotype, then it becomes a sort of expectation. And rather than it, as you say, that sounds like the way of making it much more neutral because it's about parents. It doesn't matter when you're yes. female you've still got a parent <laughs> it's that you've got to take time away to have longer care leave for a loved one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so what about um have you seen anywhere where organizations have tried to to, to address this but it, it's gone wrong it's been perceived in the wrong way or, or things haven't worked as well as they were hoping I, I think it definitely comes back to the reluctance to reflect and the non-inclusive gender policy. Because for me, I'm particularly passionate about, you know, women's advancement in their careers and and helping them, you know, in coaching on sort of an individual level with that. But I, I do think, as you know, as I said, I think that men are really adversely impacted by this. So that's just some of the things it has totally been inclusive and the conversation has been, I won't say solely because some companies really are getting it right, but by and large, the conversation has been around how do we shape this around what accommodations we have to make for women. Mm. Yeah, so it's not neutral in the first place. It's all, it's already sort of pushed to, to, to one sex rather than the other before you even sort of start. Yes, so- yes. So how so how can we how can we make it that it's a business issue? How can we pull it away from it being a gender issue? It's it's such a good question and it should be enough to just do the right thing, right? You you would think that it should just be enough to do the right thing, but if that's not enough, you can pull back and look at the stats. If people need time, there's absenteeism versus presenteeism, right? So People are either losing time and productivity because policies have not caught up to an employee's needs, and so they're away from work for you know long periods of time or just frequently. And if even if they do make it to work, you have the presenteeism where their mind is in another place. They really, really need to be supporting a loved one or looking after someone, and so they're not productive at work because even though they're there their mind is in a totally other place and they're suffering. So by looking at these policies as a business issue of losing money because of these things, maybe it'll get the attention more of companies that have a little more work to do to catch up. Yeah, yeah. And so there's also that, that sort of ongoing discussion about sort of more macho style styles of leadership and, and more feminine styles of leadership. And I guess those aren't even gender specific, although that's where they come from. <laughs> as in, you know, a lot of, you know, I don't know, we always use as a good example in, or should I say a poor example in some cases in the UK, um, Margaret Thatcher, 
being, mm-hmm. you know, such a, a strong woman, which you can see as being a positive thing, but actually she sort of almost took on the traits of, of the men around her to, to be stronger than them or to, you know, to, to behave like more like them rather than being different. Um, and mm-hmm. yep. so, you know, there's all of that stuff as well. So there's, there's a big discussion globally about whether the leadership style should be <coughs> moving towards a different style then that all gets complicated, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, it, it it's it is complicated and the way I would phrase it is that it's simple but it's not easy. We in terms of the leadership conversation, some of the softer skills, right, that have generally been associated with women, the listening, the compassion, the nurturing bit, there's no monopoly on these traits. And I think yeah. we really have to make sure that we're reinforcing that into the conversation that these are not, and I understand completely what you mean, right? Being hard and assertive, that was typically a male trait. And then, you know, the soft skills was more the female trait. But if you just look at traits as a standalone thing and look at the data, you get more productivity, you get more buy-in when you have more trust in your leadership. And the trust in the leadership is based on the soft skills. So in case anyone out there is thinking that, you know, it comes down to being a male or a female or, you know, non-binary, whatever it is, um, it's not. We all have access to these traits. <laughs> anyone can develop mm. them and anyone can grow them and nurture them. And the more we explore these traits around, you know, um, developing that trust, having more dialogue, even just saying how was your weekend as a leader to your employees makes a difference. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference. And so um, luckily the data really is catching up to that about the soft skills being yeah. much more impactful for being more productive and also profitable to have yeah. happy employees who feel like their leaders actually care about them. So, Often what happens with line managers is that they sort of tend to copy what was done to them, if you like, for one of a better word. Yeah. So, you, you know, you sort of get, well, I had to put up with that, so so can you sort of thing. Um, yes. And that isn't helpful in this, this situation because we need people to be working differently. We need leaders to, to as you say, bring in those different traits. How, how can line managers... Um, sort of make those developments sort of, sort of you know let go of of stuff from the past and and, and do something different moving forward in terms of, of you know gender inclusion and, and these sorts of um challenges well in terms of what they can do if that is what they've been exposed to as leaders get comfortable with being uncomfortable and the discomfort bit here comes from just the vulnerability of having dialogue with your employees and having more dialogue with that line manager's line manager. I mean, it really, it it sounds simple, but people will invest in so many forms of IT and shiny objects around communications. I mean, in the, in the internal comms world, how many technological shiny objects do we have, right? So mm-hmm. there, there are, and they're great, but they will not substitute communication of dialogue. So mm-hmm. I think what managers need to do is get comfortable in that uncomfortable space and be committed to simply having more conversations with their employees. 
being more casual with their employees in terms of, you know, not prying, but not just treating them as if they are, you know, a bean counter or just somebody who is there from nine to five and does not exist outside of that nine to five space. Yeah, so it all comes down to that treating people as individuals, which is something imagine we talk about that. Our... <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, we talk about that as part of our um, enabler engaging managers, and uh, you know, often people say, you know, treat people as you would like to be treated yourself, and I'm. I always say, no, it's treat people as they would like to be treated because that's how much different to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what about women? When we were talking about the show, we talked about the fact that women get bad advice um, on how to advance their career. Oh, goodness and, gracious. You know, <laughs> and this is a real key thing currently. So, you know, what what are they being told and what do you think they should be doing differently? <laughs> I'll try to be brief in the array of really atrocious examples of (laughs) career advice for women that's out there. Um, My favorite example, which made me both laugh and then tear up, was uh, do not bring in cookies to work ever, because if you bring in cookies to work, you will be seen as too nurturing, to which I say, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can both say, hi, here are some cookies I brought into work and advocate for themselves in the boardroom or, you know, not allow someone to interrupt them when they're speaking or in, you know, asking for a promotion cookies. What does cookies have to do with it? <laughs> um, so that's just one example. And another example that I got is tied closely with what you and I were speaking about just a few minutes ago, which is when it comes to asking for a promotion or a raise, I've heard some advice that said, and I won't name names, um, but information that says basically what you should do is not try to be assertive or too data driven or data dense about your request because you will look like a, I won't use the word, but it starts with B and you do not (laughs) want to be seen as a B. And uh, so what you should do instead is focus on the relationship and talk to your manager about how your relationship would be so much better impacted if you were paid more. To which I say complete and utter nonsense. (laughs) There's no monopoly on these traits. To be assertive or to do your research or to be able to say, this is what I do. This is what I was hired for. Let's look at the disparity here and talk about how I might be compensated. That that is not a male monopoly right there. So. Um, that and is an example of some of the awful <laughs> advice. <laughs> and ironically, women have probably been doing the relationship bit forever, and men are still paid more in general. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. You know what? I hadn't thought about it that way. That is an excellent you go, point. How's that been working for you, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well stated, yes. <laughs> yeah, interesting. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, well, there's that thing, isn't there, about, and again, it's it's, it's sort of stereotypical, it's, uh, it's probably a, a bit of a story, but I, I'm sure it, there is, was some data somewhere, you know, about a job comes up, uh, a woman has to be like 150% qualified to apply for it, and the man, you know, the man will sort of be 50% and, and take a punt and see what happens, sort of thing. Um, you know, somewhere along the line, research was done, I think, and that did come from it, didn't it? But it still feels like that's true in some cases which um 
mm-hmm. it makes it so much difficult, you know, so much harder to, to sort of to, to not compete with each other. That's not the right word, but you know, to to encourage that inclusion and for everyone to have a, a fair crack of the whip. If we're coming at, at things from a different perspective, that is always going to have a, a bearing, isn't it? Well, absolutely, and that's why you know we were just talking about career advice. And if you notice, what it all comes down to is career advice tells women to be more or less something, to make themselves effectively a caricature eventually that they don't even recognize of themselves. And instead, Mm -hmm. the way to do it is show up as the best version of yourself, which I know sounds very woo-woo and intangible, but... I think women also have a responsibility here. It's not just how we're treated and how there are systemic issues of why we're not in more positions of leadership. That is very valid. It's very true. But we also need to, just like you said, not feel like 150% is needed. We don't ask nearly as much. Mm. We don't ask for the things like flexibility, that we want in our schedules. We don't ask for that compensation that we really know deep down or maybe not so deep down um, is owed to us. And so just as companies need to improve their stances and people need to stop putting terrible advice about baked goods out there and how it affects your career, (laughs) women need to feel more empowered to ask. And Mm. there are so many ways that women could do something so small and it would make such a huge difference. Their lives in their working life um, could be impacted in many ways by just asking a simple question a lot of the time. Mm. And so we're just moving into the, the last few minutes of the show. So how, sure. can, how can we, how can we sort of, again, cliche word, empower women to take those actions? Because, you know, saying it and knowing it is one thing. Doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> is, right. is a whole, you know, <laughs> whole scarier thing to do, isn't it? Sure. Well, from an office resource standpoint, it you can just support coaching, support individual coaching, whether that's you know, kicking some money to it or bringing in a coach that'll help people. But what line managers can do is build that trust with their employees by just speaking with them, having that employee voice enabler really shine mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. sure that employees are given the opportunity to offer feedback and ask for advice. If that trust foundation is built more steadily and if uh, people think that they are spoken with instead of spoken at through mm-hmm. dialogue instead of throwing emails and posters at things, they'll be more confident in asking. That empowerment will just be an organic byproduct because they'll feel like they have less risk of retaliation or being told no or being laughed out of the office. I mean, so many fears creep up when we think about asking for things. So, Mm. you know, leaders can work to develop that trust and organizations can support that coaching development piece for their employees. And to take it back to how we started the conversation, it's that opening the conversation about those actual issues, isn't it? It's not just saying, you know, come and talk to us, we're here to listen. It's actually, you know, know, how are you feeling about the inclusion? And that's probably not the right word, that's too... um, jargony but you know you know is there anything holding you back you know 
how's it working for you in terms of your um, you know work life integration, all those sorts of discussions, and 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 sort of lifting the conversation into the more controversial areas so that people feel that they can have that discussion not just have any discussion you want but because we don't talk about gender inclusion you're you know you won't bring it up because you don't think we want we mean that right you build that trust so people know that you mean that I guess it's by having that conversation isn't it yeah and by asking what more can we do because your employees are experts too Mm -hmm. absolutely it's been really interesting talking to you, Sasha. Sorry about the beginning of the show. <laughs> I think we were covered well. <laughs> we did. We so, did. Um, <laughs> so thank you. Um, it, it's, it's been great. Sasha did respond and say thank you, but uh, we got cut off because we had our technical issues, as you know. But anyway, just to let you know that next week's show, Jo Moffat will be back. And uh, she's talking to Deborah Corey, best-selling author, speaker, consultant, member of Forbes HR Council and chief pay it forward officer of Debco HR Limited about uh, what organisations can do to get recognition right. So we look forward to speaking to you next week, hopefully without any tech issues whatsoever. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.